We're in the midst of a series called Shaped to Serve. Uh, The key verse for this series is Ephesians 2, verse 10, which says, We are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, that we should do them. A lot of people have the idea that being a Christian is is trying to do a lot of good works in order to maybe somehow gain entrance into heaven. But really that idea is is backwards. What we saw earlier in Ephesians chapter 2 is that we're saved, forgiven of our sins, given the gift of eternal life, not by our good works, but through what Jesus did for us by his death and resurrection. And so we don't trust in what we do. We trust in what Christ did for us. That's where our faith goes. So we're not saved by good works. So that doesn't mean that that good works are unimportant. What this verse tells us is that we were saved for good works. We're his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works. So the good works come after we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ by God's grace. It's a gift that we receive, but he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we might do those good works that he's prepared beforehand for us to do. So God has has shaped each one of us each of his children in a unique way so that we might be able to serve in a unique way. We're all, we're all different, just like shapes come in all different sizes, all different you know, angles. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, we're, all, we're all unique. We're shaped in different ways, uh, shaped uh, by our backgrounds, our experiences, uh, where we come from, uh, our talents, Scripture, as we've seen, talk about spiritual gifts, those abilities God gives us to serve. Uh, So we have all sorts of uh, differences or unique uh, things about us. So shaped in in a unique way so that we can serve in a unique way. We're God's workmanship. So how has God shaped you? What kind of good works do you think God has prepared beforehand? you to do? And are you willing to do those good works? And then as we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 13, it's not enough just to do good works. We must do those good works in love. Paul talks about how uh, even if he had the faith to to, uh, remove mountains, such, such great faith, if he did that without love, then he would gain nothing. He would be nothing. So, we must do good works in love. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. The motivation for our service must be love. That brings us to John chapter 13, which Ruth read, well, verses 1 through 15. We're really going to focus on verses 1 through 5. Now, verse 1 says, now before the feast of Passover. Now, some would say this was days before the feast of Passover. Others would say, well, this was right before they ate 
the feast of Passover, the Passover meal. And so this is the Last Supper, as we often call it. Uh, that's the view that, that, that I will, will hold to as I uh, talk about what happens here. So this is the Last Supper, the Last Supper before uh, the death of Christ on the cross. So before the feast of Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, the Gospel of John was originally written by John in the Greek language, and the Greek word that has been translated to the end here in the English Standard Version can be translated another way. You'll find this not in the current edition of the New International Version. They actually changed it. But in the 1984 uh, version, uh, it says he showed them the full extent of his love. And so that word uh, translated end can mean end, but it also could mean uh, completely. He loved them to the end or he loved them completely or to, he showed them the full extent of his love. Uh, So, you know, in translating that and interpreting that, you're, you're left with, with the two options. But uh, one, one commentator on John says, perhaps there is intended ambiguity here. For Jesus did indeed show the full extent of his love, and he did so until the end of his life. So, so both are, are true. He showed them the full extent of his love, and he did that to the very end. I want you to notice uh, three words in John chapter 13. The word new, K-N-E-W, in verse 1. Just read that. The word knowing in verse 3. And again, the word new in verse 11. So before we consider what Jesus did, I want us to understand what Jesus knew. So during that meal... Right before it, actually, Jesus knew three things. Well, he knew more than three things, but three things are mentioned here that Jesus knew. And the first thing is he knew that his hour had come. That's in verse 1. Now, what is his hour that had come? Well, if you read through the Gospel of John, you'll discover that Jesus' hour is the time of his, his death, his crucifixion. Back in chapter 2, Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. And then in chapter 12, he says, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. So he realized that he had come into the world for this very hour, to die on a cross. So he knew that. He knew that his hour had come, that soon he would die. And he says, my soul is is troubled. This was a a, a difficult thing. To to be crucified was such an awful, awful way to die. But Jesus would not turn back. He had come for this very thing, for this very purpose. So Jesus knew that. He knew that his hour 
had come. As Ruth mentioned, he knew that this would be his, his last day. Of course, the resurrection would come, uh, but he had so much to face. And, and what, did he, what did he choose to do in those, those, those final minutes with his disciples? Well, the second thing he knew, he knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. So this speaks to who Jesus truly is. He was more than just a man, more than just a great man. The Father, God the Father, had given to him, the Son, all things. So he knows that he is the Son of God. He knows that he has come from God, this is verse 3, and is going back to God. He knows that on earth there is no one greater than him. Really, there is no one greater in the sense that he is God the Son, equal with the Father. In that sense, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It goes beyond our uh, comprehension as to, to how God could be like us, live this life. But Jesus realizes this. He knows this. He knows who he is. It's not a secret kept from him. He knows exactly who he is. He is the Son into whose hands the Father has given all things. This great authority, this great power, the lion and the lamb, he knows this. So he knows who he is. He knows his true identity, the God-man. And then thirdly, Jesus knew who was to betray him. Sitting at that table is a man who's going to betray Jesus, Judas. And Jesus knows that his friend is going to betray him. He also knows what, what the other 11 disciples are going to do. He knows that Peter will deny him three times. See that later in this chapter. We know that when Jesus is arrested, the, uh, the other ten will, will run away. They'll be afraid. They'll abandon Jesus. So he, he knows all of this. He knows who will betray him. He knows what his disciples will do. And so these are three things that Jesus knew as he's sitting at that table. That his hour to die had come. The Father had given all things into his hands and that one of them around that table was going to betray him. So now that we understand what Jesus knew, let's consider what he did. Look at verses 4 and 5, John chapter 13. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So in spite of everything he knew, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Now we need to know a little bit about the culture of that day. Another commentator says that foot washing was the most demeaning task assigned to household servants. So this was one of the lowest, lowest things you could do in that, that culture. None of the, the disciples 
were willing to wash one another's feet. Now, they might have washed Jesus' feet, but they certainly would not have washed one another's feet. You would only wash the feet of someone you considered uh, above you. So Jesus was their teacher, uh, and they were his followers. They were not willing to wash one another's feet. So as they're around that table, uh, you might be familiar with the, uh, the famous painting by Da Vinci, the, the Last Supper, I believe it's called. There's a lot of things inaccurate about that painting, uh, but one of the things is that they're all sitting on chairs. People didn't sit on chairs back then. They had lower tables. Uh, they sat on the floor, and, and they reclined probably with their left elbow on the table, and their feet would be close, close to... Uh, the person next to them, uh, and their feet, of course, they would be wearing sandals, their feet would be very dirty. Uh, So typically you would have your feet washed before you uh, ate, before you sat around that table. But uh, it seems there was no servant there to wash their feet, and they were not willing to wash one another's feet. But Jesus was willing, in spite of everything he knew about who he was and, and what they would do and what was coming in the near future, his death, he was willing to wash their feet. It would have been unthinkable for a rabbi, a teacher, to wash his disciples' feet. And that's why Peter says in verse 8, you shall never wash my feet. So what Jesus did really was, was without comparison in that culture. And uh, it's, it's hard to compare it to something in, in our culture today. Perhaps it would be uh, like the CEO of the company washing uh, the toilets in the office building. But probably that would not even be as low as, as what Jesus did, washing his disciples' feet. I want to think about that scene. When no one else would get up to wash one another's feet, Jesus getting up, being the only one to do that. Think about what what Paul wrote, and we read this earlier, part of this. Earlier, actually we read all of these verses, Philippians 2, 6 through 8, speaking of of who, who Jesus is and what he was willing to do. It says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. So, so he knew he was, was God, God the Son, but he didn't really use that for his own, to his own, take, uh, use that for his own uh, selfish uh, advantage. Instead, what he did was he, he, he served others. He said, it says he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That word even points out that this death, this way of dying, was especially awful. Crucifixion was uh, really the most cruel, most humiliating way for a person to die. And yet Jesus was willing to do that humbling himself, taking the form of a servant. And so when, when God uh, took on flesh and lived among us, when, when God the Son became human, 
He washed dirty feet and he died on a cross. Jesus once said, Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then he adds, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he didn't come to be served. He actually came to serve. And we see that during the Last Supper, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We see that in just a few hours from then, Jesus dying willingly on a cross. Jesus was willing to do what no one else was willing to do at that table. Willing to wash the disciples' feet. And he was willing to go to that cross out of love for us. Now we might think that, that Jesus isn't acting like God when, when he serves. You know, when a CEO, if ever a CEO, does clean toilets, you might say, well, he's not acting like a CEO. He's not acting like uh, the head of the company. You might say, well, God doesn't wash dirty feet. But I believe that Jesus never looked more like God than when he served others. This gets to the heart of who God is. He's a God of unimaginable, unmeasurable love. I also believe that Christ is most visible in us when we serve others. Jesus said to his disciples, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now maybe that doesn't mean that we literally have to wash one another's feet. But it does mean that we need to do things that maybe we feel are beneath us or that are difficult or that no one else wants to do. Jesus is our example. Jesus, our leader, showed us, his servants, how we are to serve. Again, this goes back to 1 Corinthians 13. We said we could insert the name Jesus before love uh, in those verses, starting at verse 4, that Jesus, uh, like love, is, is kind, is not envy, and you can go on and on. I don't have it memorized, but uh, Jesus can be inserted in there for the word love. He's the personification of love, how he served. He served in love. So he showed us, our Lord, our Savior, our leader, he showed us, his servants, how we are to serve. We're to serve humbly. We're to serve in love. And he, he demonstrated what that looks like when he, he did some, some humble things, some difficult things, washing his disciples' feet when no one else wanted to do it and dying on the cross, suffering in such an incredible way. In spite of everything he knew, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. In this act of, of lowly service, he revealed his heart. A heart that would lead him to the cross, the ultimate act of service. And in spite of everything he knows about us, 
He says, come to me. He says, I will love you to the end. Just like he loved those disciples. Even though they failed him. And even Judas, I believe he would have forgiven if Judas had come to him seeking forgiveness. And so God invites each one of us to be saved by grace through faith. To put our trust in what Jesus has done for us through his act of service on the cross. That he will receive all who come to him because he has that kind of heart. That forgiving, that gentle, that loving heart. Scripture says to put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by works we're saved. We're saved through faith in him, trusting in what he did for us. And then he makes us new. And he gives us those works for us to do after we come to Christ. And so he's given us the example. If you're a follower of Christ, a child of God, we look to Jesus and we see how we are to serve, humbly and in love. And in seeing what Jesus has done for us, we also see that he will receive all who come to him in faith.